Hello, Lee. Lee Eliot. Nice to have you here. Great uh, to be here. You work for Knifrank, uh, the company. You are based in the UK, uh, in London, I guess. Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm based in Baker Street, but I have a global brief. Uh, my responsibility is to look after Occupy Research for the business on a global basis. So, uh, yes. London, but broader. <laughs> okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, you are very active on different social media and a uh, lot of good insight and interesting stuff uh, around co-working because that's your focus, that's your, uh, uh, it's a big deal of what you are covering for Knifron, is, is it right? Uh, well, I think I, you know, my, my job is to look after uh, understanding how occupiers are using space and clearly yeah. what we've seen over the last decade is that co-working for corporate occupiers as well as SMEs has become... Uh, an opportunity, an option for them. And as a result, you know, my research interests uh, span beyond the conventional market into, you know, the, the, the flourishing co-working market. Okay, so the, that was the, the, we took the opportunity of the release of a report. Uh, recently you had about the evolution of what you call um, space as a service. Yeah. And, and the title of the, um, the report was really intriguing because uh, it sums up a lot um, of what we see as well uh, from our perspective, meaning that the, uh, it's the power in partnership. So that's um, in, yeah. in, your, in your report, you, you took a step back and look at the last decades um, uh, of the, what you saw in the London market from the perspective of corking, and mm -hmm. you noticed that there were three phases. Mm -hmm. um, one was... An, uh, what you call an uneasy coexistence between co-working operators and the landlords in the real estate market, and mm -hmm. likely where uh, there are time to understand it. Uh, then, then slowly more better understanding of what is happening there. And now we are entering uh, uh, um, what you call the partnership time for, between operators and landlords. So that was the opportunity really to to let you elaborate on that and give you um, your vision of what was happening now in the market and where, yeah. where it could lead us. Okay. Yeah, really happy to. I, I, I think the first thing to say is that, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's been, there has been a lot of tension in the market, uh, the conventional market about co-working, you know, the upstarts from the co-working world and what it means for real estate. I don't buy into that. I think what I, I've said consistently, uh, both in this report and also a report that we did called Your Space, that the co-working phenomenon uh, has changed the real estate narrative for the benefit of everybody in the market. Um, so I'm positive about the experience that we've gone through over the last decade and i think it shapes uh the conventional market as well as the co-working market and gives the occupier the customer of real estate you know ultimately the people that pay the rent and therefore create the income it gives them options and i think that can only be a good thing so that, i think it's important to just put that out there but equally i think we need to start getting a little bit more discipline around what we regard as co-working what is co-working what isn't yeah. i think there's a real blur i mean you would say this as a researcher wouldn't you but you know there's a real definitional blurring of, of true co-working service office flexible you know it's a it's a real melting pot which which doesn't help the market in my view yeah. um so what we've tried to do with this report power in partnership is articulate how the relationship between the conventional market and the co-working market has matured, uh, and to look at perhaps where it will go next so maybe if i just give you a sort of a summation of of, of that journey um and, and clearly you know when you try and generalize on a a 10-year uh trend that's uh, 
global, it's difficult to, to, to get all the nuance. But broadly defined, I'd say there are at least three phases. The first phase, as you said, was very much an uneasy coexistence. It was really, you know, uh, if I'm brutally honest, the conventional market looking at a wealth of, of operators coming into the into the uh, into the market and not really uh, an understanding of what they could yeah. offer and just another source of demand. Really, you know, I think what we saw was lots of landlords, often with that last bit of space in a building that was difficult to get away in a conventional lease. The basement. Yeah, yeah, they were putting their corking offering in the basement. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So essentially, that bit of space they couldn't get away to the conventional market. You know, they're desperate to get the building let up to, to either trade or, or maximize income. Uh, and suddenly, the doors being beaten down by a range of different operators coming from all directions. And, and, and that's why I thought it was an uneasy coexistence. I mean, it was just a case of right, we'll take that on. Um, and we'll let the building, you know, and, and actually if there's a benefit for others in the building through doing that, then great, but actually we've got our income. Yeah. Now that's, again, a very sweeping generalization, but that to me was the tone of the market 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the tone changed probably five years ago broadly, uh, which is that many landlords start to, started to recognize that the provision of flexibility was important for their more conventional uh, leaseholders. Um, we in the your space research, which I've referenced, we did a lot of work on what the corporate occupier's attitude, blue chip corporate occupier's attitude was to real estate and particularly to co-working. Two things came out of that research. One is real estate's a strategic device. It's something that's really important for occupiers to get right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, that is a point of difference because I think what we've heard historically is real estate, particularly since the financial crisis, real estate can obviously try and manage down. We saw something different emerging, which was real estate as a strategic device, much more aligned to the trajectory of business. So that was the first important point. The second point, because of that, there was a, a desire to get some degree of flexibility into occupiers' portfolios, either to manage the natural flow of business uh, or to deal with transformation teams and unexpected demand. And I think as that started to mature, what, what land, the conventional landlords started to recognize was actually those co-working operators broadly defined, whether it's, you know, IWG, WeWork, whoever it is, you know, smaller players across the spectrum, they could add value. They could actually enhance our ability to attract in uh, conventional leasing deals, uh, add an amenity provision to the building that, that creates a richness actually provides an overflow for the occupier as well yeah and, and as, as a result and again with broad generalization what we saw was, was instead of the co-working deal becoming the last deal that was done it was often one of the first deals that was done yeah because by creating a co-working space you activated the building you got footfall you had people using the building who might actually say well this is actually quite a good spot do we need some more space on a conventional basis and and, and the relationship almost sort of turned on its head yeah and I think you know that that was a positive, um, and we were dealing, we are, and were dealing with a lot of landlord clients that were keen to understand how to get that piece into play. Many of them did go down the the leasing route and basically pass on a, you know a lease to an operator, uh, as as they did in the first phase, but at a different time in the leasing campaign. But others started to sort of mimic what the uh, the co-workers were doing and create their own products. You know, British land, land securities in the UK, yeah. 
uh, you know, with Myo and Story, you know, started to recognise that this flexibility that occupiers was needing, plus the service provision and experience came through the offer, was really important. And uh, they started to sort of almost go toe to toe yeah. with with yeah. the co-working providers. How successful has they been with their own brand? Uh, was it at uh, same same? Was it at same at the same level of 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 quality and standard that the few player of the co-working industry would you say have you have you seen or there were still some you know discrepancies between uh, the quality of the service provided by one or the other i think in my experience they've they've done it well uh, but they've done it well in within the constraints of their portfolio i mean clearly their yeah. game is not to sort of broaden into all aspects of the market they're looking to enhance the value add value to their existing portfolio and they've learned the lesson they've sat back and they've observed you know Land security, particularly when into the flex market historically, and came out of it, and have gone back in and learned learned yeah, valuable yeah. lessons. I'm sure, but they've also observed what's been going on in the market. They've created the right infrastructure around them. I mean, we know that creating a service, it, you know, it's not a case of just writing flexible lease terms. Yeah, you yeah, know, you yeah. have to provide a service, and that creates a a, a cost in terms of human capital and the, the you know the infrastructure yeah. you need to support that and i think they've been pretty effective at doing that uh, and, and as i said it's, it's really added value to their some of their all of their assets where they've yeah. applied it so i think it's been a success um but it's really born out of the recognition that the corporates want some degree of flexibility so that, that second phase i think is progressive it's 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 been helpful for the market it's created a, of course additional options for occupiers and competition for the co-working operators of course as well uh, and and you know to, not to put too fine a point on it there are a lot of operators out there now and i think it's quite a crowded space and it's a difficult environment in which to operate particularly as people with greater volumes of ammunition if you like start to come into, yeah. into the marketplace so your your membership will know that only too well so I think where we've now got to um, is, and, and I think it's going to be exacerbated actually by COVID, is two things really. One, there's, there's going to be a growing distinction in my view between classic co-working and a push towards managed enterprise-led solutions. Okay. So just to put my to ensure that you're clear on what my definitions are of that, and there may be difference with how you look at the market or your members look at the market, but yeah, I would regard co-working in its classic form as uh, multiple organizations sharing the same floor plate and working cheek by jowl with one another. So, you know, there are no boundaries. It's a membership-based floor plate. And, you know, you could be sitting next to somebody from one company one day and somebody completely different the next. Um, versus a managed solution, which is a more flexible lease and a, and a service orientated proposition, but it's for the exclusive use of one, uh, one institution or one, one occupier. Mm. That's broadly my definition. I think co-working in its classic sense, as, as per my definition, is quite difficult to uh, understand in the COVID environment. You know, if we're going into a world where social distancing is in play, as it is now, and who knows for how long, uh, where you have to have two meter distancing and organizations are very uh, worried about contagion and the risk of the disease transmission, that classic piece of, uh, of co-working is, is more challenging. I think we have to acknowledge that, uh, as difficult as that might be. Yeah. 
and on top of that, we've got a number of operators that have pr probably challenges in their financial model in the sense that they've they bought at the top of the market, they've taken leases all long selling short, and they've also seen the SME market be quite challenged financially. So all of those things are quite powerful and and damaging in the You're short. speaking about co-working operators correct okay. correct and you know and, and i think you know people will understand that that yeah. is a that is a as hard as it sounds that is a an operational reality at the moment uh, yeah. on the flip side the flexible managed solution i don't see there any let up in demand and i don't see covid reducing demand for that in fact i see it as increasing demand uh, which is why we believe there's a third phase of power in partnership. We actually wrote the paper prior to COVID, yeah, yeah. but actually I think the lens of COVID is, is, is actually quite powerful in amplifying many of the messages we made. If I may, and I know I'm talking for a long time, but no, 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 four, four things that I think are going to drive the flex market um, in, a, in, a, in a media and uh, medium term post COVID world. Starting with the short term, uh, firstly, we know that occupiers, as they as lockdown measures start to ease, they go back to their office buildings, and the office buildings, in conventional terms, are at probably fifty percent capacity. Because you know you've got to respect that two meter distancing. You can't get people into the space that you've traditionally had, so you have to make some choices as to who goes into the office and who doesn't. That leaves organisations with two choices: one. You either put people can let people continue to work from home, and clearly a lot of people will do that. Yeah. But there will still be some organisations that are unsure about that as a long-term strategy, and I think they'll have recourse to go to the flex market to deal with that capacity issue. So I think yeah. that will drive the flex market in okay. the short term. Secondly, um, we know that there were many occupiers that were in the process of relocating. Uh, or going into new space, whether it's you know, a, a refit or whether it's a, a new development. And we know that COVID will impact on the deliverability of those schemes short term. So, you know, occupiers are left going, well, okay, I've moved out of this building, but I don't have the new one to go to. Yeah. Um, they will have recourse to go to the, the flex market as well in the short term, probably not at their cost, yeah. but that they will still need a flex offer. So they're both short term drivers. Yes, to, to, it's more like those two options you see, it's more like a backup to the current yeah. situation. Yeah. So that is about building resilience, you know, yeah. ensuring that you can continue to operate as a business in the short term as we get through this crisis, however long that may take. Yeah. And then I think there are two longer term drivers, which I think are really interesting for, the, for the, what I'm defining as a flex market. Um, firstly, as we come out of this crisis, and I would suggest that at the current time, you know, where are we, end of May, I think we're probably looking at 2021 onwards, you know, by which time we've probably got some kind of pharmaceutical intervention to deal with COVID at least, one hopes, fingers crossed. Yeah, but 2021 onwards, you know, the, work, the operating environment for most corporate occupiers is quite uncertain and probably quite volatile. And we can already see, if you look at the CFO sentiment indicators, they tend to be very choppy. And I suspect that's what they're going to be for a while. So when you get that operating uncertainty, what you find is occupiers want to align their real estate to that uncertain horizon. So they like to go short on leases wherever they can. Uh, and I think that will drive, as a result, more flexible product. So that's the third driver. And then the fourth driver is 
one of the consequences of COVID is that whilst we've got people all connected on Zoom calls and, and the like, you know, and Zoom's astonishing, isn't it? I mean, I wish I wish I used my research to drive my own investment decisions because you know <laughs> uh, you would have you would have bought shares in Zoom. Sure. You know, ten million people at the end of last year had registered users, three hundred million today. I mean, it's astonishing. But that side, you know, where we are going is is a digital transformation of business post COVID because whilst we've connected people together, a lot of businesses have been found wanting in being able to sell their services and products digitally. So we're going to go through massive business transformation. And what we see and what we've seen historically is when businesses go through transformation agendas, they often create transformation teams that they like to put outside of the mothership. Yeah. And they'll use flexible space to do that. So there are two drivers longer term that we see as being important. Um, so corporates will continue to want flex for the reasons I've outlined. They'll want to go to the market, but they'll want certainty that the operator is solid enough, robust enough to provide the option and survive. Yeah. What we think will happen, and this is the third phase that is the central point of our, of our report, is that we will see a partnership arrangement start to emerge whereby operators on the one hand will be less keen to take on leasing risk because of the financials related to yeah, that model yeah, yeah, yeah. but know that they've got an operational expertise that the landlords the conventional landlords don't have and on the other side the conventional landlords know they're going to have the product yeah but they don't necessarily have the expertise or the appetite to take on huge headcount to drive a service yeah. and therefore you get a meeting of minds and you get this power in partnership where operators join with land earlier property owners to create a perfect solution it would you know i would argue it's sort of akin to what we've seen in the hotels market with an opco yeah, exactly. type model yeah. uh, and you know it may not be new to everybody that's listening into this but i think we see that as a significant uh, next step in the yeah. evolution of the flexible market yeah. So, so that's exactly what, what we hear about more and more, the, the, the analogy between the hotel industry and the co-working industry, where yeah. you see uh, drivers such as or, or new models arriving, like managed services, uh, this kind of partnership so that we have seen in the retail industry, if I'm not yes. wrong, uh, in, in retail parks, which are dealing in that way with the asset owned by a third party and the, and the services operated by another one. Uh, and that co-working could be could move toward that direction, also with the rights of the franchise. Mm -hmm. so that that, that mm -hmm. becomes something more and more important. It, 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 are you seeing that? Because that your report is also very much focused on London, and you mentioned that um, in the report that uh, I think there was three times more capacity in London from co-working's perspective than in New York City, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Is it something that you think is much more um, valid for the London situation, also because of the density of the traction, uh, and not may, maybe less, less to a lesser extent in other areas. Oh no, you see that globally transversal. It's it's a deep um, changes that is taking place nowadays. Well, I think there's two responses to that. So if you'd asked me that question without COVID, yeah. I would have the answer would have probably been a little bit different because I, I I think what we would have seen is the primary cities globally, London, New York, you know, all the usual suspects, steadily moving in this direction, but probably with London at the forefront. Yeah. 
and I have to be careful. I'm an Englishman, I'm an London, and I'm a Londoner, so you know I have to be careful about bias here. But I do think if you look at the stats, we know there's been an explosion of co-working in London, and we know that's at the forefront. But others yeah. would follow. Yeah, yeah. However, I think COVID has changed the dynamic somewhat because what I think might happen with COVID is that we will see occupiers, and I'm talking again corporate end of the occupation spectrum. But I think we will see occupiers starting to disperse their portfolios. And, and, and the, the so-called hub and spoke model of occupancy, I think, will start to really come into effect. And I think in the context of London, what you'll see is possibly slightly smaller, but better hub offices and the emergence of satellite offices yeah. in the suburbs, yeah. in and around London, that give people uh, a working closer to home option. So not at home, but equally not in central London either. Yeah. And I think that is a tremendous opportunity for many of the co-working operators, both the, uh, the established IWGs of this world, but also some of the, the, the smaller players. Yeah, the they're different uh, crowds. Of, uh, yeah, to start to put facilities yeah. in and around the yeah. suburban ring, not just of London, but of other cities. And, you know, I would... Prior to COVID, I was very fortunate with the Your Space research to, to tour pretty much around the world with this with this research, and you can see that hub and spoke model even before COVID starting to take effect in Australia. Um, we even saw it, believe it or not. You know, I, I was privileged enough to go down into Nairobi in Kenya and look at that marketplace, which you would think would be a million miles away from flexible and co-working, yeah, yeah. but actually the best-in-class buildings have that. Um, so I think it is a universal trend. Uh, I think there are always leaders in this, and I think London is ahead. But I also think COVID is going to sort of broaden the the opportunity yeah. uh, to a multiple of geographies. Yeah, we had the discussion with some other some other players uh, in Germany, for instance, uh, mm -hmm. where we because there has been always from if we take the perspective of the employers, um, discussion was always. Um, either home working or work at the HQ or work yeah. at co-working. It was not, it was or, or, and not and. Yes. And, and what, what we had in mind is indeed that this is this, and also that, that's a learning from the COVID crisis, um, that home working is great and works, and it, to the big surprise of a lot of companies and managers. Uh, but on the other hand, it does its, um, don't side this, uh, which are working for your kitchen among your children. Uh, that's not always the best way to, to operate. Um, so, and, and working from the HQ, used to the, the social distancing measure, but on, uh, beyond that, it's also a whole model that everybody figures out it has reached some limits in terms of if you have to spend two to three hours in, a, in a commuting to go to the HQ. Um, it, it increased the price of the of the real estate, the, the cost for the company. Uh, it 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 creates um, desertification effects in the countryside. There mm -hmm. are so so many downsides that we are aware of, but never figured out that there was a solution for. That uh, now all of a sudden we say, yeah, but why not? And 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 indeed, this idea that maybe the the the, the next uh, model we could figure out for employees could be maybe one day a week. I'm working two days a week going yeah. to the head office and, and two days a week near work, yeah. going to a co-working space next door and, and work from there. Yeah. Do you believe that it could 
um, step by step be, be, be so, the kind of model we could see taking place uh, overall yeah. and, and, and on a more standard level? I, I do see that as an outcome, uh, but I don't see it as an outcome that occurs you know, in a year's time. I think it's a five-year okay. play. All right. I think, um, you know, just to, to touch on your point, I, I think we've been terribly binary in real estate. As a, as a provider of space, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, to your point, you know, the definition is you either work from home or you work in the office. There's nothing in between. Yeah. And I think the great legacy of COVID will be that it will focus people's attention to the fact that work going forward is dispersed. Yeah. And it's multiple, it's, it's it takes place in multiple settings. I mean, it's been really fascinating in this last week to hear about Facebook and Twitter and all of these companies, you know, leading edge tech companies who have fantastic real estate facilities historically. Um, and it's been positioned in the press as saying, well, actually they're gonna close all their offices now. <laughs> Not what Twitter said at all. If, I mean, if you look at the Twitter announcement or indeed the Facebook announcement, what they said was, we are gonna give our staff choice. Yeah. We're gonna allow them to work from home, but equally we're gonna allow them to work from the office should they wish. Those companies, yeah, those companies might save money on the food, the free food they're providing. Well, maybe, um, but what they will do is they'll give people choice and they'll be able to therefore attract the very best talent. They'll use yeah. real estate in a more appropriate way to be productive, to have the best talent and therefore to be the most competitive organizations. And, you know, one, one of the lines I've been using a lot in the last couple of weeks with press and, you know, all the, all the various engagements that one the ones been getting because of this crisis is, the office of the future is a choice, not an obligation. Yeah. And as a result, occupiers have to start thinking about space in a very different way. They have to give people a reason to invest in their commute to come into town or give them an alternative to their, their home. And this is particularly true of, you know, of young people. I'm, I'm sort of a little bit long in the tooth now. I've been around a while. So, you know, and, and I'm, I'm really blessed in that I've got a, a pretty nice house and I've got to study and I can separate work from, from home. But not everybody in the start of their career has that option. And moreover, those people that are in the start of their career, if they don't go into the office, they miss all that valuable tacit learning that you get by going into the office. Yeah. Whether it's a co-working facility, a flex space, or a conventional office, you know, our ability to learn and develop our expertise is actually quite soft. It's about the interaction that you have with people in an office environment. And I get quite worried when we have this binary discussion yeah. about, you know, it's, we're all going to work from home in the future. If we do that, our younger staff members are going to really suffer from their, in terms of their education, their development. But I don't actually see that as what most occupiers are saying. What most occupiers are yeah, saying yeah. is, we need a range of different environments. We might need to think about using them in a different way to address sustainability concerns, yeah. to address cost concerns. Yeah, but we're gonna be more sophisticated. And yeah. part of that mix is a flex offer. Yeah, yeah. No, it's very insightful. It's very, very interesting. Yeah. And to, the, to another extent, it's, it, it shows us also that, but we see that with the school, the homeschooling for the moment that we see mm -hmm. is virtual. Uh, mm -hmm that it becomes much more effective, much more transparent. So, and, and all of a sudden it gives also the impression that we have read that as well, that uh, uh, online meetings were way more effective and shorter than physical meetings in, in the other office. So to, to some extent, there was people hope that this, this, this jump in productivity that it's coming from the forced uh, home walking and also the usage of all those online tools could 
release some time to make more of this soft you know anger yeah. and and sharing that we that you were mentioning that that's it's it's so important also for to, in the creative creative process and innovation and and um, also sales process to some extent. I, I, I think that's true. But what I would say is, and my own sort of personal learning from this, as much as anything else, you know, I've been locked down for eight weeks. I've, as I said, I, I take 10 steps from my second floor up into my study. And, yeah. you know, the kids are lucky if they see me for, you know, 12 hours. Yeah. Um, maybe, they're, maybe they're thankful for that. I don't know. But, you know, what, what's quite interesting is that this enforced period of working from home has been positioned by many as being effective. Yeah. And I'm not sure in the long run it is effective. Yeah. Let me give you an example. So I think you're absolutely right that we can have really effective Zoom calls, for example, and exchange ideas for 30 minutes, and then we don't have to worry about our next meeting, you know. But what I'm finding, and maybe it's just because I've got views on the future and you know that's very much yeah. here and now, is I'm going from one Zoom call straight onto another one and on to another one, and on to another one. And before you know it, you spent eight hours talking to people sure. without any thinking time, which is pretty important for a researcher like me. So actually, I'm sort of saying increasingly to colleagues, I can't wait to get back to the office. Not necessarily because I'm going to be doing anything different in the office, but actually that 30-minute commute, I'm lucky I've only got 30, not 74 minutes, but that 30-minute commute right. into town yeah. is a really important time for me because it gives me time to set myself to think and actually the the, uh, the meeting uh, the travel between meetings that i typically had going into different you know offices in london yeah. was always really helpful in just giving you that breathing time yeah. that you no longer have because you press the button to end one call and you press the same button to start the next one with about a two-minute gap yeah, that's very true. That's very and true. I, and I, I worry a little bit that we're not balanced in our debate about how effective we are. And I think we, it's all about balance for me. And I yeah. think we need to recognize that there is a risk of people burning out by working from home. And again, coming back to where we started, a flexible office space might be a really good safety valve for people to actually not encroach upon their family life and on their home life. And actually take keep working a box yeah. and I, I mean that figuratively of course that you know there's an opportunity for us to have a place where we can go to be productive and, and work but also that we know there's a boundary when we get into the home that i think at the moment it's being lost a little bit yeah it's, it's yeah it's very true um, to, to to come to a hand um and come back to the partnership part um mm. Do you see that uh, all those co-working brands that we know of, of course, there was the WeWork effect, we didn't mention it, but it, it had a dramatic impact on the, on the acceptance of the model and saying that it was good, it was at the end. But no, it is the flip effect that they need. Uh, it was the problem that everybody wondered whether it was a good idea to you know, lease out so many <laughs> space to WeWork. But still, we see that the model behind it is still working, people are looking for it. Um, do you see uh, the same operators who, 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 who lease um, uh, those, those infrastructure being the office managers and facility manager of those landlords that we weren't speaking about? Or do you see other players coming up to do that? I think the general direction of travel in the market is a little bit of consolidation, if I'm honest. I think yeah. we've seen a lot of people uh, create co-working businesses yeah. Uh, trying to either mimic or advance the model that others have, like WeWork have brought to the table. Yeah. And, you know, I don't, I think there is 
frankly, too many of them, and it will have to rationalise. Yeah. But, you know, rationalisation is painful. I'm not going to get away from that. You know, there will be casualties uh-huh. uh, through the current crisis, uh, for sure. Um, but out the other side, I think, you know, the, the, what, what I would see in a more positive way at the moment is this current environment is a bit of a crucible for some further innovation. And I think you will see some organizations maybe coming left field from the hotels or hospitality uh-huh. sector suddenly going, actually, all these landlords, you know, they've got great spaces, but they don't either have the skills or the capacity to really activate the space and make it compelling as an experience as well as an environment. I mean, the reality is, and you know, I can be equally hard on on conventional landlords because I think they do a brilliant job at creating best-in-class building environments, but they let themselves down often by not having a great service layer that creates an experience for people. And as I said earlier, you're gonna need, the business of real estate now is not just about a good physical environment, it's about having a good, uh, experience as well so I think you will see people coming out of the hospitality sector maybe even elements of the retail sector actually where you know experiential retail has been at the forefront of, yeah. of, a, of a difficult sure. operating yeah. environment we might see them coming into the into the office environment and creating that service layer in partnership with the people that own the product yeah. so yeah I think there'll be some casualties and there'll be some pain I think there'll be some consolidation off the back of that where people scale up by bringing themselves together and creating JVs. And I think you'll see landlords starting to look at who's out there that could give us that service layer that's the, the point of difference. Awesome. Good. Very, very, oh, very helpful. No, no, it was super helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much for the time and for, for sharing your thoughts about, about it. We will share the report as well. Fine. We will link to the report and, uh, Absolutely. because it's super, it's super interesting. Um, Again, uh, stay safe home. I hope we, you can get out as soon as possible. Uh, we hope we see the light uh, now with, with the pandemic. There's always and, light uh, there. There's always light there. So yeah, same to you as well. Thank you so much. Let's keep in touch and, and, uh, and take care. And, and we hope we can uh, meet physically quite soon. I look forward to that. Thanks for the Thank time. Thank you so much, Lee. Bye-bye. Pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you.